This is the podcast Love, Blood, Sex, Death. As daughters of Venus, we're on a mission for 2020 and beyond to awaken more love in the world through intimate and educational conversations that shed light on our societal taboos. Those are the things that we all obsess about privately, but don't speak about publicly. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tanishka. Hello. Nice to um, reconnect. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it sure is. And hello to our lovely listening audience. Really lovely um, to reconnect with you as well. And, you know, this episode, um, like everything that we've spoken about, it's a subject of, of you know, great gravitas, of weight. So um, thank you for, you know, being willing to talk about uncomfortable things with us. Um, today's subject is about domestic violence. And it is highly prevalent. I think most people know that. It is a global problem. And the intimate partner is the most common form of violence against women. So, um, you know, (laughs) just like with the last episode, we were talking about pedophilia and it's often someone the child knows. The same thing is true. So it really highlights the need for... Um, better life education skills for a human relating. But um, let's just have a look at the stats, first of all. Um, South Africa has the highest rates of DV. Um, Nigeria is the, the worst country, followed by Sudan, Mali, uh, Iraq, the Congo, Democratic Republic, Number six, Central African Republic, uh, Pakistan, uh, Yemen, Afghanistan, and Syria. So that's the top ten. A lot of those are uh, countries with a large um, Islamic faith. So we can see the role that, um, you know, religious... Uh, belief systems play um, in terms of uh, sanctioning uh, violence against women. Um, And I believe you did some research into honour killings. Yeah. Do you want to share that with us? Yeah, definitely. So I remember when I was in India, um, I was having a look through, I can't remember which, which town or city I was in and I remember seeing on the outside of a wall these red painted handprints. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what they're for. And um, I asked somebody and sort of got a full tour then of the area and it was a place where um, women would, they would paint their hand, they would place it on the wall, um, putting like a a handprint on the wall and then walk through and then there was like a, a place where women were burnt alive when their... Um, partners had died so it wasn't wasn't it, it wasn't necessarily the traditional honor killing but it was to to um to honor it was more like now she wasn't worth anything anymore that her husband had died and she wasn't able to live her life after he had died so she would burn herself alive and that mm-hmm. had been made illegal when I was there in 2012 I think it was but it still happened in some parts of India but not that particular 
part apparently. But then, so honour killings, however, are... Um, if the viewers could see the look on my face, right. they probably got the same look on their face. Yeah, yeah. It was, fuck me. It was really oh disturbing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't fuck me, but yeah. geez. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And, and, you know, to think that that's culturally then, you know, it's you can't just impose legislation if it's still a part of the culture, right. you know. Exactly. And that's that's oh, what's... Right. That's why it's still happening because there are some places that have made it and all over the world, not just in India and um, Pakistan, but there are, um, yeah, there are places where it is still legal. Jordan, it's still legal. Um, to beat a woman? To, to kill a to woman? Kill, so honour killings, sorry. Yeah, honour killings are, are still legal. Um, and honour killings are pretty much when there's been some kind of, you know, in quotation marks, uh, dishonor brought to the family. Um, sometimes the family's involved in organizing the honor killing. So, and this can be if um, a woman is wearing the wrong clothes, if she has had sex outside of marriage, even if she's raped, she can be killed. And sometimes female um, family members will help arrange the the killing. Yes, honor killings do sometimes involve males. However, it is much more. Um, prevalent um, among females. I remember when I read Half the Sky, which for anyone who hasn't read that book, it's by a couple that uh, are working, um, you know, on the trenches of human trafficking and they're Nobel Prize winners. Um, and, uh, it's a shocking read. Yeah. Um, but in Pakistan, the number of young women that are being stoned to death mm-hmm. and, and um, imprisoned simply yeah. for having sex outside of marriage, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned India. Yeah. 70% of the women in India are, you know, brutalised in their own home. I mean, that's a huge wow. statistic, yeah. you know. And in Egypt, 80% of women. Wow. You no? Know? Yeah. Uh, Turkey, 42% of women. Um, and in the US it's 33, which is actually lower than New Zealand, which surprised me. I've had this kind of uh, rose-coloured glasses view of New Zealand as, you know, somewhere where, I don't know, the sheep are woolly and people are kind. But no, um, 35% of women in New Zealand, um, but... And if we think about, you know, the US, it still made it to the top 20 number of countries, the only Western country that was considered dangerous for women. But in in the US, 24 people every minute are victims of rape or physical violence or stalking by an intimate partner. And that's more than 12 million women and men over the course of a single year. So, you know, and that's that's one of the countries on the lower end, right. you know, it's the Nordic countries are the ones that have the lowest rates. So right. I think we need to look at what they're doing and what their cultural conditioning is, yeah. you know. But do go on. I'm sure I butted in. No, so no. What else would you like to- <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. Um, yeah, so with going back to the honour killings in India and Pakistan, um, the recorded rates of honour killings are around 1,000 a year. Oh, um, including some in Bangladesh. So that's a really high high concentration there. 
Um, and then just honor-based violence. Um, so sometimes, you know, not killing, but some kind of, um, yeah. Oh, disfiguring of the woman. Yeah. So she's considered uh, less valuable, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Or to humiliate her. Exactly. It's an oxymoron, isn't it, to call it an honor killing. Right. Where is the honor in bullying? Because that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, frick. Um, now, uh, had you finished yep. everything you had? Okay. So I've mentioned, you know, some of the global stats. I believe you did some um, research into the Australian stats, yep. given that's where we're broadcasting from. Yep. Would you like to share them? Yeah, definitely. Because last I knew, and this was before lockdown, yep. it was more than one a week. Yeah that was being killed yeah. by domestic violence in Australia. Yeah. And I, even though it's very hard to get figures about how things have escalated due to the lockdowns and here in Melbourne at this time of recording, we've been now in, in lockdown for eight months. Right. Um, and I've got figures about how it's escalated in other parts of the world due to the lockdown, which we'll talk about in a bit. But first of all, what what are the Aussie stats you found? Yeah, so I came to a similar conclusion with the amount of women who are killed from domestic violence um in Australia a year and it's around one a week um and yeah a lot of the time uh it's they're not always in the relationship with that person so it's someone that they've known um someone that has done it before has uh, offended before but they haven't they either have put um, AVOs out or they have reported to the police um, and they've still come after them um, or they haven't reported it to the police because they were terrified, you know, that, that so many of the... the so there's a history of, of um, you know, harassment. Yeah. So I had, um, just going off topic a little bit, someone that I love dearly who was in a domestic violent relationship um, and I saw them go through absolute hell with the system trying to bring justice. He, it was a male-male relationship. One of the males, I know we're going to get into, um, into it, one of the males had borderline personality disorder. Oh, thank you for raising this. Yes, I'm passionate yeah. about that and we will speak about that in depth a bit later. But yeah. do tell us about the, the, the system and how yeah. they were treated. It was, it was crazy. So... There was first physical violence and and the victim had reported it to the police um, and eventually there was, I think there may have been an arrest because there was, there was physical violence and then there was also break and enter and stealing stuff. But as mm -hmm. time went on, this person, the, the perpetrator, found different ways to harass um, the, the victim. So they were going on, to, on um, doing a porn, revenge porn stuff um hacking email so doing what porn revenge stuff? revenge <laughs> revenge porn so could you just explain what that yeah, is definitely so it was pretty much taking um intimate material that they had cre created together in their relationship whether ah. whether knowingly or unknowingly some knowingly some of the content had been filmed um oh, without God. consent and then uploading it onto porn sites and then oh, um, also putting up this person's um, personal details for everyone to find, um, trying to destroy their career, um, messaging the family members um, with death threats. Like it was wild. And the police 
their hands were like essentially their hands were t- like this person was using VPN so they couldn't track it back to him even though they knew it was him they did make just it- for the listeners VPN is um oh fuck what does it's- it stand for I don't know what it stands for but it's the thing you put on your computer so you can watch Netflix in Bali exactly. <laughs> That's how I learned about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it's, yeah, it's pretty much a tool. Makes the network private, my 17-year-old yeah. is telling us from the couch. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you go yeah. on. So, yeah, so it was you, just, it went on for a year. Um, oh, he man. Was, and the, You'd be a mess, yeah. wouldn't you? Psychologically, yeah. emotionally, yeah. like on every level. So, yeah. it was so traumatising to watch. And this, and the, the the guy, the perpetrator, would just move from state to state in Australia and get away with it. Otherwise, you know, the police had had to go through drama of, um, you know, getting him and bringing him to court. And so he just missed court dates. And then just before he was about to go to court and be convicted of around 20 different offences, he left the country. So he got away. <laughs> and he got away with a year of full-on harassment and all sorts of violence. So wow. it's no wonder. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Because it, it really paints it vividly, yeah. you know, what some people are living with, yeah. what, which if you haven't experienced that, you can't even begin to really understand yeah. it. Like yeah. you hear the word DV or domestic violence yeah. and you think, oh, you know, some guy drinking and then beating up his wife. Yeah. But, you know, the de- the degree of yeah. harassment, it's yeah. – um, thank you for painting that picture. Yeah, it's really scary. And it's, it's it? it, and it's really scary, yeah, to see that they can get away with it even if the police are involved, um, you know, until things have been – they need a lot of proof and they need a lot of evidence and, mm. and so they just can just keep going and going. And so, yeah, it's no wonder we see so many – victims in Australia because that's really like it's almost like the the perpetrators protected um yes so yes yes because the onus is on the victim to really you know provide a very strong case exactly exactly um look we have a very special guest and a dear friend of mine (laughs) and she's back from outer space (laughs) in the words of Gloria Gaynor yes it's Juno welcome back Juno um, Hi, Kristen. How are you? Good. So happy to have you here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So now, some of our avid listeners will remember, as you know, you came with us for Tough Titties, the oh, mothering episode, um, Dark Side of Motherhood. And uh, you worked in DV here in Australia for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to add to that in terms of your view of like – not just the judicial system. We'll start. Well, let's start with the judicial system, mm. and then look at um, the first responders, such as the police and the paramedics, and how how well trained they are in responding to DV. Okay. Um, the judicial system, yeah, that's a minefield on its own. You know, it's actually a nightmare, and for a lot of people who go through domestic violence or intimate partner violence, um, they're like your friend. That would have been a hard thing for him to do, you know. His mindset, he just just wanted it to stop. He doesn't want all the, you know, having to talk about it over and over again and tell his story again. And every time he went to court, he'd have to, you know, relive it. It's traumatising on its own. 
and by it, you know, in, in and of itself. Um, so anybody that has to go through that is it, it takes a lot. And without support, um, it, yeah, it's a very hard thing to do. And, you know, I can understand why a lot of people don't choose to do it. Um, who, you know, I had experience myself of women that I've worked with, you know, when the incident happens, all they want to do is, you know, have this man charged. But after a couple of days of thinking about it and starting to realise what it's going to entail, they just don't have the energy to do it. And, you know, sometimes that can be enough to make them go back to the perpetrator. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very big minefield. It, look, there have been lots of changes in um, the judicial system to the fact that even magistrates, there's a course now for magistrates who deal with family violence, but it's up to them to choose to do that course. It's not mandatory for them. So there are some magistrates out there that I've come across that are so sympathetic that's great and you just mm. bless, you know, the universe when you mm. get them for your client, but then there are still others out there and I will say mainly male right. who do not get family violence at all. Now, I'm speaking, I haven't worked in the field for two years. I retired two years ago, but... That was how it stood at that time. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, and what about the police? Like, are they trained? Their, their training has increased over the years, but the police force is a boys' club. Mm -hmm. So all those police members that have come through, say, from the, the 70s and that are still in the police force still have a very antiquated belief system. They, Which they, looks like what, if you could sum it up? It, it, well, power over control. Thank you. Control. Which is what the perpetrators are exactly. operating in, the same fucking exactly. paradigm. <laughs> Excellent. And, yes. And, yes, and it has. But And I think in the 90s or early 2000s, they started implementing more training at the academy. Okay. But now they have significant training in the academy around family violence. Great. Yeah, so it that has increased, but you've still got that boys club. You've still mm. got those. And you've got to remember in the police force, there is a hierarchy, mm -hmm. a very, very strong hierarchy. So if, if your sergeant or the mm. senior constable above you says, jump, you go how high. It doesn't matter what you believe. Mm. You have to toe the line. So if you haven't got a sergeant or a senior sergeant mm. or whatever that that is sympathetic or empathetic really more than anything um yeah it doesn't matter what you believe in you have to do what so they again, say the culture yes absolutely and and mm. the culture is changing um i've been was lucky enough for the last two years that i was working i worked as an embedded family violence worker what so does that mean means i actually sit in with the with a a unit which was called the Family Violence Unit, and I actually sat in and worked with them. I wasn't just consulted. Mm. I actually worked with them. I saw how they worked. They saw how I worked. So part of my brief was to bring some training to these guys. Um, they were um, 
they were all your normal uniformed guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it has changed. So constables? Yeah. So yeah. rather than detectives? Yeah, not, not detectives at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has changed. They are now all detectives, which changes the focus quite considerably. How? Um, detectives are all about uh, pursuing and charging and getting results that way. So it loses some of that community or um, support, you know, that, that support element, which is what... So it's more criminalised... Absolutely, yeah. ...than, say, restorative yeah. and um, yeah. re- rehabilitation yes, programs and very, things. very, yeah. Okay. Um, unfortunately, the guy that... Uh, the, that devised the program that I was part of that had that idea, uh, died in a motorcycle accident. So his dream sort of went with him. Went with him. So um, I know that my position that I was in for two years is no longer at the station. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know that there's anybody there gu- guiding the new family violence unit at Interesting. All. Yeah. And when you speak about the boys' club... You know, oh gosh, I to me what that brings up immediately is, and no wonder we don't see more men coming forwards that are the victims. Absolutely, because if they're met with that sort of um, let's call it what it is, patriarchal attitude, yeah, yeah. they're but, going to be mocked, they're going to be yeah. humiliated, weak and you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah and then like with your friend Kristen, who was also gay as well as a mm. male victim, mm-hmm. uh, it's like it just starts stacking mm. on the odds. Like when I was trying to find statistics about uh, DV mm. within the LGBTQ community, there's it's all contradictory, mm. right. you know. Right. And so it's really hard to get a picture. I mean, all I all I can see is that. Um, well, I actually think that would be true of all minority groups. Like Absolutely. we were talking about, yeah. um, there were a few films that came out about how abusive Orthodox Jewish um, cultures are for women, um, and you were saying that they're very insular, insular and yes. well organised. Yeah, yeah, within their own religious faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a, a big, oh, a bigish Jewish um, family violence um, organization within the Jewish community. So they look after, you know, they they would rather have the Jewish women come to them than come into a mainstream refuge mm-hmm. or or come through the police or something like that. Um, when I was working in a refuge, they came out and, and gave us a talk, and they offered things like. Um, hampers with kosher food or to come and help women with their religious stuff over the Friday and Saturday. Oh, share yeah, that's it, and uh, and all that. But they would prefer to have them in in their own sector, you know, yes. rather than in the mainstream sector. Um, Which on the one hand you kind of go, well, that's great. They've got that yeah. level of community support. Yeah. But it also raises a potential flag, yeah. which is, uh, uh, you know, the keep it in the family. Is, is, there, kind col- of, is there collusion? There? You know, there, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Are women actually, the risk is then heightened yeah. Yeah. because they don't want to make their sect 
look mm. back, yeah. you know, if they reach out beyond there. Mm. Um, and I would say, and we're not just singling out the Jewish community, mm, yeah. any uh, minority group, whether it's a religious group, you know, it might be um, a more widely acceptable cult. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know. I, I definitely uh, saw it in Bali. Um, I heard of a yes. family who had what well, wasn't domestic violence, but some uh, sexual abuse had happened and when they shared with the community what had happened, they were run out of town for bringing the name, for causing trouble in the community, which was really, mm. yeah. Crazy. Mm. So as it stands at the moment, one in three women worldwide have experienced physical and or sexual violence by an intimate partner, which, I mean, those are ridiculous mm. numbers. So... Um, you know, we're seeing more and more protests. Well, we were until the lockdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in having a chat with you, Juno, uh, well, first of all, I saw online that pregnancy is when women become, you know, the threat of physical violence increases um, and also postpartum when they've got um, this new baby. Um would you like to share, do you know why that is? Um, for me, I, my understanding is that it's a significant time of change and for some men, it, they, they've been used to being idolised, I guess, in a way, or, you know, being the prime target of, of the woman's affection the thought of having to share that with even a child that is their own child. So that, that level of change that's going to happen for them, they don't, they don't know how to deal with that. So it becomes a very precarious time for a woman, especially if she's deciding to leave at the same time because that's one of the other highest triggers, triggers is um, when somebody leaves a relationship. So... Often when a woman becomes pregnant, the man's behaviour starts changing and she goes, oh, I'm not going to deal with this. And, um, yeah, so she puts herself in a very precarious position. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and hormonally, I think for a woman too, you know, she, she doesn't want to have to deal with that when she's dealing with everything else that's oh, going God, on. No. I mean, you know, I remember when I was pregnant how vulnerable you yeah, feel just yeah. because of the hormones. Yeah. Uh, so to deal with an external stressor mm. like that, mm. unbelievable. Now, you were part of a program or, the, no, there is a UK study on. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, would you like to speak about that, that targets yeah. couples that um, have yeah. had, what is it, three call-outs in a year? That was part of the program that I was okay. in. That was so I worked with couples and sometimes um, the male as well but this program is it's just called breaking the cycle of intergenerational abuse and it's a quality of interview study of men participating in a perinatal program to reduce violence so this is a 2020 um, research article so it's quite current Mm -hmm. Um, it's in the UK they already have a program that's called for baby's sake which is to help to uh, educate men um, around the changes that will happen. 
Um, it is addressed here in Australia in the, in, in the Men's Behavioural Change Program, but this looks like it's a study specifically trying to address... Men transitioning into fatherhood. Yes, yeah. Um, the, when you mentioned the Men's Behavioural Program, is that something men are sent to if they offend? It can be. It, the court can order it, but it's different to anger management, which is what I think you um, most people think it's like. Um, it's actually what it says. It's, it's a program that is there to help men um, identify and change their behaviour. I've done uh, an introductory course to it. I actually thought about being a um, facilitator at one stage. Um, but, yeah, it, it's quite comprehensive. It, it needs to be extended. It needs to be a 12-month course. It was originally um, cut back to about a three-month course, which mm -hmm. is only once a week. But what it does is it involves the woman as well, whether they're still together or whether they're separated. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, and they, it's run with a male and female facilitator. Mm -hmm. And it really calls out the man on their behaviour. So ideally for this course here in Australia or in Victoria, um, it, it really requires the man to want to be there. So mandating them to be there doesn't always work. I see. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like um, sending them to detention. Yes. Right. Yeah. Time out, off to your room, whatever, you know. They, they can work their way through it, even though there's an evaluation at the end to say, you know, that they can get through it. It's, it's, but it is a great program. Okay. And that was part of my brief was to try and get the men to want to go to a men's behaviour program. Because, mm. you know, it seems very much in, in the West anyway where we intervene at crisis. Yes. And we don't look at the core yeah, is, yeah, yeah. issues and addressing those. Um, I do want to discuss that later on. Mm -hmm. But um, before we get there, um, what you've highlighted is it's times of transition, yeah. of change where stress increases. Absolutely. And it's uh, so recognising as a whole, as a community, that's when we need more support. Yes. So, you know, if we look at, say, a traditional culture, you would have had rites of passage. Yes. Not just for when a man, a boy becomes a man or when mm. a girl becomes mm. a woman, but there were subsequent, yeah. you know, like Indigenous cultures did rites of passage for every trimester. Mm. Um and, you know, in the Grail tradition, they did rites of passage every seven years to assist men on a continuum yeah. to mature. Yeah. So it's the lack of maturity yeah. that creates endemic trauma, yes. as I see it. Yeah, and it is. it is endemic trauma. Yeah. 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 And the statistics, unsurprisingly, show us that when a man witnesses his father yeah. abusing his mother, mm. whether that's physical, verbal, you know, whatever, mm. of course the cycle continues. Well, it, it, it can continue. It doesn't always continue, but it does, you know, the father is the major role model. So in, yes. on some level the behaviour that the father models is going to be taken on board. might not be physical, but the, the male, the attitude. Mate, yes, the attitude is yes. there. Um, 
I mean, statistics show that it's much yeah. higher for the yes. men that have grown up yeah. in that. And equally, it's much higher if, if a child has been abused for them to then be physically and sexually abused in their intimate relationships yeah. as an adult. And here's the rub. Guess who is the most likely to abuse their children physically? Yeah. Single mothers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this is not just about violence against women. This is also recognising that we are the perpetrators and that, again, it's about support, you know, Absolutely. because um, it's, it's not uh, – I've always said that, you know, women that are not supported in their role of mothering, their mental health is at risk. And then oh. who's going to wear the cost of that? Yeah. The kids. The children, always. So, you know, hence I'm so passionate about the red tent because that literally holds women when they're most at risk during the darkest time of the month. And if they've got that as a container to acknowledge and be held, they're less likely to act out on their kids. And because we've lost, you know, these traditions, um, if a woman doesn't even understand her cycle That's right. on an emotional, mm. energetic and psychological level, it's running her Absolutely. unconsciously. Yeah. You know? and, and, and then also you have the thing of being in a violent relationship as well diminishes her sense of self to the point where she has no sense of self. Mm. She can only be um, guided by the person that is actually um, abusing her. So, so she hands over more and more of her yes. authority and power yeah. to them because she's yeah. diminished. So the only only thing that she has control over is her mm. children. So mm. it's like she then tries to gain back some of her power by being abusive to her children. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Not lovely, but no, you know but what yes. I mean. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. Um, and similarly, violence tends to happen against women more during times of emergency and crisis, uh, which includes women who are displaced, refugees, those yeah. living in conflict-affected areas. I mean, it's used as yeah. a tool mm -hmm. for, you know. Yeah. Um, but also during epidemics, mm -hmm. yes. even pretend <laughs> epidemics. <Yes>. So... <laughs> So um, turns out, surprise, surprise, that in China, uh, which was the first place to report, you know, the whole COVID thing, uh, in February, the domestic violence mm. tripled. Um, and in Spain, uh, just in the first two weeks of lockdown, um, their domestic violence calls... Uh, went up by 18%. In France, the nationwide spike was 30%. Uh, and this is just in the first few weeks of lockdown. So you kind of begin to get the picture of what it's like months down the track. Mm. Um, and in Europe, it was like a domino effect where the governments were so quick to impose lockdowns that they did so without setting up anything to support mm -hmm. those that were basically being locked in a war zone mm -hmm. with their partner. Um, and um, the um, 
I'm just scrolling through my notes. Uh, here we see again 20% a week into lockdown. Avon and Somerset in the south of England. Um, domestic abuse reports went up. So, and guess what the World Health Organization suggests for victims during a lockdown um, if they're in a DV situation? Make a safety plan, <laughs> okay? Um, and it says it may help, not that it will help, but it may help to identify a neighbour, friend, relative or colleague that you could go to. In, now, how realistic is that, Juno? Having worked in the field, I don't think these people could make a plan if their heads are scrambled by daily No, I, I, I agree. And I worked on the... Um the phone lines where we would often get women and they would be the things that we would help them through. Okay. We would help them through and identify all those sorts of things. Um, but that's not what this is saying. This is saying, you know, this woman who's traumatised already, you know, should be doing it on her own. Mm. So we, we would go through safety plans for the woman, give her ideas, to give her, you know, talk to her about what she thinks would work for her. Um, how she would implement it. So you would ask all those follow-up questions that would give her the power to um, to leave if she chose to and uh, just give her suggestions of other things that she could possibly do. But it depends on how it's given. It's no point just giving the woman a pamphlet that says do this, do this, do this. It means nothing at all. So that's why you need that support. You need to know that there's somebody that you could talk to because, yeah, you can't think about it, you know, you know, even to ring the police. We get used to get people that would ring us before they would ring the police and they would be or an ambulance, but you know, and they would have had significant physical injuries and um, because they didn't know what else to do. They can't think that far ahead. Yes. It's like when we, um, you know, had the fireys come and talk to us we were in a bush fire mm. and they mm. um high risk area and they said you've got to make your plan when you're not in a stress yeah because you can't state, do it because you can't think sequentially yeah, and no. put the plan on the fridge now someone that's in domestic violence no. they can't put the plan no. on the fridge no. i mean as it is when i was doing the research one of the websites said here's a cross on the screen if you need to quickly yeah, get out close this because mm, yeah. Surveillance is one of the things yeah. any, any really do. good website will have that on it. And to clear the browser yeah. history. Yeah. So, again, if they have a pamphlet, yeah. that's evidence no. that can be used no. against them, you yeah. know. Whereas most of them, funnily enough, can remember a phone number. Okay. You'd be surprised how many women in crisis can remember their CRN number from Centrelink, their bank account numbers, their um, driver's licence numbers, their Medicare numbers, because they're the things that go missing that get taken away from them all the time. To prevent them to, reaching yeah, out. Yeah. So um, uh, okay, what am I trying to say? What are the flags to look for? Because I had a friend that was killed by her husband yeah. and whenever I, you know, spoke to her, she was just anxious, hmm. you know, yeah. and I remember her saying to me once, oh, you know, my husband doesn't let us use the heater in winter. Mm. Now, we lived on a mountain mm. 600 metres above sea level. It mm. got cold. Mm. Now, that for me is a flag. Absolutely. And her anxiety, if that was not part of 
who she was before, you know, if that's a new thing. Yeah, all those things. Um, somebody who was normally would like to go out for coffee all of a sudden starts making excuses to not want to go out to coffee. You know, when you're having a conversation, you know, they're always looking at their watch to see or if he's always texting or Thank ringing you. or find, trying to find out, where, you know, asking her where she is, what time are you coming home, or you said you were going to be home 15 minutes ago, you're late, you're late, and then her anxiety raises. If, if, if it's a good friend, you'll know the signs that something's different and something's not right. Um, I would suggest tell them that you're aware that you can see that something's not right. Okay. Um, just keep on offering support because one of the main things perpetrators try to do is separate um, the victim from their support, from their network. support mm -hmm. network, including friends and family. Yeah. So let them know it doesn't matter what time. Whatever. Uh, and that you'll pay them. the cab yeah, or whatever, whatever just to get matter. there. Yeah. Yeah. What about code words? Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, we used to suggest that as part of a safety plan. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they had a good friend and they could see that a situation was starting to escalate, they could send that code word to as a friend. As a text. Yep, or ring and use that code word yes. in, a, in a conversation yes. and that person would either ring the police or whatever they had organised to do, whether the person comes to the door and gets mm -hmm. rid of the or, you know, takes the woman away. But that isn't really a good idea because sometimes the perpetrator can turn against both of you. So unless you've got a good bodyguard mm -hmm. with you, it's probably best to ring the police. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing um, a bit of video on Facebook of a woman who took her dog to the vet mm -hmm. and managed to write on a piece of paper and mm -hmm. flip it to the yeah. receptionist yeah. to say, my partner has a gun yeah. on his person yes. right now. I'm yeah. not safe. Yeah. Call the police. Yeah. And I thought that was ingenious. Yeah. Um, a lot of hospitals now, especially in their um, perinatal classes and, and, oh. and um, in the maternity wards and things like that, they have actually a family violence trained nurse or worker mm -hmm. who will come in like a normal nurse would and have a chat to that person and talk to them about family violence and whether they're in a situation that you know they don't so want that to be in. worker will speak to everybody that no, comes in like how, no. do, how do they flag someone? well yeah there's yeah though so they, they they know what to look yeah, for they've been trained specifically to look for the signs you know what Yes, if you've got a woman that comes in for maybe just a, a normal checkup, or every time she comes in, her husband's with her and won't let her see the doctor on her own, that would be a flag. I see. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's controlling and possessive yes, behaviour. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, if she comes in with wounds that she's got a very flimsy excuse for, bruises, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. cuts, things like that, you know, um, once again, anxiety is is a is a key thing that yeah. uh, might trigger somebody's mm, things aren't quite right here. But, yeah, so there are programs out there. The maternal child and health nurses um, have training around identifying family violence. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, but a part of the training is also getting the woman on her own because if she's on her own, she'll more than likely say something, but if she's not, she won't identify at all. 
So another flag would be, obviously, if somebody starts a relationship and then they're not available to socialise anymore. Yes, it's yes. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't and, just and, give up on them. Yeah, like, and we all get that, you know, like when you're in the, the first throes of it, yes, it's all, you know, whatever. But if that continues or you mm. notice other changes, just let them know that, you know, you're there, that you're not judging them. It doesn't matter what's going on because they'll deny it to start with. But, you know, you just need to let that person know that you'll be there, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's about your concern for them. Now, I had a neighbour just jumping to another topic who was a sole parent and her teenage son was a danger to her. Yes. And we have more single mothers now than ever before. Yeah. And I think this is, you know, there's so many different dynamics. Absolutely. It's not just the partners. Yeah. And I've spoken about single mothers lashing out and hurting their kids. And not just single mothers. This can happen in... Single fathers. Yes, as well. And two-parent families. With the teenage son yeah. acting out. Yeah. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, again... Especially me, if it's a blended family and the male uh, in the house isn't the parent, isn't the biological father of the child. Right. Yeah. So, it's almost like the stag's... Mm. Yeah, who's, who's top dog, yeah. right? Yeah. Which to me flags uh, that again we need from the age of fifteen for boys. Younger, younger. You would say younger. younger. Fourteen, yeah. younger. Really? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, initiating them into rites of passage Absolutely. and into circles. Yeah. I as think, an ongoing thing, yeah. not just as a one-off. No. You know, and then from like even as from going from primary school to high school for the transition. So that ten, eleven, you know, yeah, yeah twelve, sort of that age, I think onwards, and even then, sometimes depending on role, on what role models they've had. But, yeah. Yeah. Even then, could be earlier than that. What I do you like want to say, educating, Also educating um, males on the complexities and the beauty of women and of females and of how yeah. sensitive we yes. are in our Absolutely. emotions and our body and just really yeah. getting yeah. them to have an appreciation yeah. beyond the objectification that, that society does of women so they can see, you know, rather than just mum and yeah. maybe sister or mum, you know, just like really taking the time out to be, hey, like, females are very sacred they're, they're who bring life through um we need to protect them and yeah. they're just instilling it as something that's just mm. you know like stealing is bad protecting women is good like real simple yeah yeah it, it is simple but you know the, the societal things out there don't reinforce totally. that yes it's not being modeled a lot yeah, for them no and we have this sort of double um, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing mm, where, mm. you know, you see on the one hand it's legislation, gender equality in the mm, workplace mm. and non-bullying in schools, which actually drives it underground. It does. You know, yeah. it's and when you look at the high rates of people that are watching um, violent fetish porn, it's like the numbers don't add up, no. you know. Mm. So, again, it's it's addressing it at the 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 cultural level which is about education yeah when we become an adult mm. of what is appropriate mm. and what mm. isn't yeah and and um you know it's life education that we're needing yeah. rather than yeah. just cleaning up yeah. the mess at the end yes um 
I, uh, teenage girls are actually the ones most at risk um, in terms of date rape, yeah. but also it's teenage boys that are often very controlling. So this to me suggests it's about early intervention. If we can, mm. again, work with emerging adults. And look, it can even go back further than that, you know, like even if you were to go back to preschool, you know, it's it's about creating good um, gender, you know, equity roles, you know, like they, they know right from the beginning that they don't have the power, that all those things that patriarchy have, have given them, um, you know, regardless of, of what their dad says or what their bigger brother says or something like that, you know, it's, it's unacceptable to have these attitudes. So it, it can start right back, you know, right mm. from the beginning, especially if they don't have those role models at home. Yes. Well, uh, we spoke earlier today about I witnessed in the supermarket this week a guy that was saying, you fucking mole, you fucking, you know, and being really misogynistic and verbally abusive towards a staff worker. And, you know, ordinarily I would speak up, Mm. you know, if if something happens in front of me. But he was so volatile. He was so enraged. Mm. And I'm with my Mm. 17-year-old and I'm just like, I was silenced by that because I didn't want to risk him Mm -hmm. turning it on us. And she was giving it back. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, right, this is going to escalate, which it did. So, you know, in terms of if you're a a party to somebody who is both misogynistic and abusive, what's the protocol, do you reckon, Juno? Um, what I've been trained to do in that sort of situation is to go uh, not involve the perpetrator at all but to go to the other party and offer them support. Maybe um, shepherd them away from that person, you know, but don't engage in any verbal abuse or anything like that. If it's physical, you just ring the police and that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's still just at that verbal stage and you you think you can de-escalate it by moving the person away, asking them can you help them with anything, you know, um, give them support and just totally ignore the perpetrator. I like that because, you know, it didn't occur to me. Mm-hmm. Like I went into freeze mm-hmm. um, and, and I, you know, you kind of, your brain is... Yeah. whirling going yeah, yeah. how do I deal with yeah, this yeah. and um yeah to have that clear thing of offering to the victim in the yeah. moment how can I help you yeah, yeah or going straight to um whether it's centre management or whatever or somebody somebody in a superior role or something yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if it's a worker in your in that case, you know, can we take you into the into your office or something like that? You know, get mm. them out of the situation. Mm. Because, and then let security deal with it. You know, that's because that's their job. Yeah, because I I recall, you know, in terms of the archetypal teachings that when Aries, that you know Mars archetype mm. of a man, is out of control. Yeah. It takes another man yeah. to bring him down yeah. who can match his energy That's right. and say, hey, mate, bring your head in. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if a woman tries to step in between two men yeah. who are about to punch on, she's going to get clocked. Absolutely. So yeah. 
I like your mm. your suggestion. Kristen, mm. do you have anything you want to um, add to that, love? Yeah, I feel like the what I wanted to ask actually, were there other males around? Yeah. There was right. no one else in the right. aisle. It was just right. yeah. Mm. So yeah. it all happens yeah. so fast. And it normally does, yeah. You know? Yeah. And um the men who did arrive on the scene, honestly, they just they didn't have any skills. God, what are you? They, were, they, they, were they workers or were they? They were workers. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they were big guys. Yeah, but they but still they didn't know. had absolutely no uh, confidence mm. to mm. approach this man. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it was just all round a sense yeah. of helplessness yes. of what do we do here okay. and when I think of this man I uh, knowing what I've learned in the last few weeks as um, you know doing the family connections course learning about borderline personality disorder he's a prime candidate absolutely yeah you yeah. know and either that or he was on meth one of the two or both <laughs> well this is the thing you know um, I really want to discuss this because when we criminalise, mm, mm. we're, we're being punitive, not restorative. Exactly. And we just make things worse. Yeah, yeah. So we need to look at the mental health issues. Yes, definitely. And uh, this is one of the main reasons that people abuse substances and substance abuse is a huge ingredient yeah. in domestic Self-medication. violence. Self-medication, right? yeah. So... Um, when it comes to BPD, which is borderline personality, uh, it is very prevalent but often undiagnosed. And the uh, health professionals have themselves been very reticent to diagnose yeah. because it's the most complex uh, mental illness to diagnose, but it's trauma-based. I agree. And when you think about how endemic trauma has yeah. been... Yeah, You know, I identified, even though I don't have BPD, I identified some of the traits. Mm. You've got to have five out of the nine to have the disorder. Yeah. But um, I just went, oh, my God, I see that in my lineage, mm. you know, mm. my mother and me yeah. and, then, you yeah. know, my child. So um, it's about us acknowledging Houston, we've got mm. a problem. Yes. Mentally, we're not well mm. as a populace. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... We don't have a problem with saying, yeah, I've got the flu or cold or whatever. But if we've got a mental illness or yeah. mental health issue or something like that, no, we don't want to say that at all. No. We don't want to bring it into the the um, the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. Like I had a partner that had ADHD. Mm. Again, it wasn't diagnosed and then during the course of the relationship, you know, we got a diagnosis. But he was energetically violent. Yes. Now what I mean by that is the way, and he was a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. his sweetest man. He mm. would never have laid a hand on anybody. Yeah. But the way he entered a room yes. was in such a frenetic state. It was, I'd just go into hypervigilance. Yeah. You know, so we have this idea that domestic violence is just that mm. which leaves bruises. Yeah. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, before there is physical violence, there is energetic, emotional and yeah. psychological yeah. violence. And yeah. I would say because we haven't had 
you know, the tradition of growing up with circles, learning yeah. how to share power and be responsible with interpersonal dynamics and safe group dynamics. Most families have somebody who dominates, someone who is submissive, and the children learn pretty quickly who they need to side with. Yeah. And then we redo those same dynamics in the schoolyard, in the workplace. So it's, you in your know. friendship circles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, another big piece is, um, oh, let me just say about BPD. Now, this isn't something any health professional said to me, so you're welcome to challenge it. But my understanding, given it's a trauma-based diagnosis, is that the age of that initial trauma is the age that someone, part of their psyche is still stunted at. Absolutely. And so just like when you're a parent and you're on the phone and the kid starts acting out because you're not giving them their your full attention, this is often the dynamic that women experience with a partner who's abusive, um, that it's they're demanding yeah. emotionally, psychologically, because they're coming from wound and when we come from wound we act out and we wound others so um, things like trauma release therapies including somatic experience tre which is yeah. trauma release exercise rebirthing or breath work yeah. um, having more people within the social services that are trauma informed yes um Core energetics. I don't know if any of you out there have heard of that, but that was a therapy I did where I got to wear boxing gloves and beat the <laughs> shit out of my therapist. And I thoroughly recommend it um, because, you know, if, if the child has had rage that they weren't able to express, it's going to come out parental rage projected onto their partner. And they may punish them. I know I have mm -hmm. and I've experienced being on the other side of it. You know, the mm -hmm. silent treatment, yeah. that's emotional um, abuse. Yep. It's punishing the other. And so, you know, we can't point the finger and go, oh, you know, that person's, you know, violent. Let's face it, we all have the capacity, um, and this is something which I explore in the conflict resolution course I brought out couple of weeks ago for those that want to check it out on my website it's called um, conscious relationships transforming conflict mm. into connection and it it basically maps those three levels of if we're operating at child which yeah. is coming from wound teenager which is rebelling against the parent yeah. or adult yeah. which is you know and that in a nutshell is um and that was through lived experience that i mapped that you know yeah. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking at you for a moment. Thoughts, ladies? Um, yeah, I, I agree. And what I've learned about trauma is that the best way to deal with trauma is to go back to when the trauma happened. Yes. So the closer you are to the trauma, so if you have a, a yelling match at your child and half an hour later you go back and you say, I'm sorry, I really shouldn't have done that. That was really bad behaviour, blah, 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 and you deal with it then, it's normally 
doesn't become a trauma, doesn't become a long-lived trauma. You've acknowledged the shadows yes. so they don't take it on yeah. as their story. But if you've had that as a child every day of your life for as long as you can remember, um, it's nearly like it's going to be like peeling onions, you know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be take a long time to get back to that original trauma. Mm -hmm. So the closer to trauma you can, you can get, closer to the wound, um, is better. But, yes, e even now they're finding in research that um, really loud, aggressive arguments between parents can affect children. So it doesn't have to be directed at them but they can be there and it can traumatise children. 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that guy in the supermarket, yeah. his partner was holding a baby at the other end there of the aisle and that poor baby and probably even in neutro, in neutro, he would have been yelling at her. She would have gone, all her stress yeah. release hormones would have gone, yeah. everything. So that child is already predisposed to reacting to to that trauma. To that. And for those that don't know, BPD is about emotional dysregulation. Yeah. So people that are volatile and reactive and whose emotions completely eclipse them mm. so that they have no control in the that, moment. That's exactly right. So that baby, you can imagine as a teenager, young adult, will be predisposed to um, BPD. And because these rates are escalating, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, there is something called dialectic behavioural therapy, yeah. which is um, basically helping people to regulate their emotions, mm -hmm. regulate their interpersonal dynamics. There's many different, you know, aspects yeah. to it, including mindfulness, but that combined with psychotherapy. Yes. So not psychiatry, not so they actually don't say drugs no, is the way forward. No, in fact, it's not. And the yeah. same with CBT, talk therapy, yeah. psychology. It's psychotherapy. Now, what's the difference? Psychotherapy is soul-based. Yeah. So it's acknowledging that, you know, this beautiful, perfect being mm. has had a situation that was abnormal. Yeah that the psyche has not been able to process. That's right, yeah. And just when we come from that, we're not labelling and making the diagnosis more important than the person. No. We're giving the person back their dignity and their yeah. ability to yeah. heal this because yeah. the prognosis is for BPD, if it's caught early, 10 years, and you can have yeah. healed it, yes. unlike mm. bipolar, unlike... Yeah. other other. Schizophrenia. Yeah. So the prognosis is good if there's early intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something interesting that has come out of research too is that oh, there was an increase in the amount of children being diagnosed with, or diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. And what they've actually realised that is there's a lot of trauma responses that mimic mm. autism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, there is that too. But, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They say with BPD that girls are diagnosed three to one to boys, but boys are usually hmm. uh, diagnosed with Asperger's. Mm. Yeah, rather right? than BPD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but and, and the same with kids. They're often diagnosed with ADHD and as they get older they go, well, actually it's, it's BPD. BPD. Yeah. You know, so... Um, but it's very reticent to mm. diagnose anyone sort of under the age of 16, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. 
But health professionals are saying, look, it's at puberty that we need to diagnose it, even though the symptoms actually start in childhood. Well, I don't know. I've seen a family where the four-year-old child was already kicking the mother and abusing the mother and, and right. all that sort of stuff. Yes. So, I mean, I, I don't know where that child would have ended up. But I would say child services, you know, yes. CHHS would have come in and taken that child away and would have just traumatised him even more. Right. Because mum couldn't deal with him anymore. Yeah. Couldn't handle him because she was in a DB situation. So her capacity to deal with that from a, a child, child. Yeah. Um, was not good. So, yeah. yeah, the prognosis for that all around was a disaster. Yeah. yeah. So we need, you know, more uh, support. Yes. Like... You know, for me, going to these groups yeah. and, and just hearing other parents and getting mm. more mm. information yeah. Yeah. about, you know, because mm. that's the thing. If Once you understand the nature of what yeah. you're dealing with, you can have far more empathy yeah. and patience and kindness, yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, when you don't know the nature of the mm. beast. Which also means energetically if you were to find yourself in a situation where there was somebody abusing somebody else, even if you didn't feel able to step in, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you can't energetically try and control that situation as well. I understand. Yeah. yeah. By sending them, um, you know, everything from Reiki symbols whatever. to, yeah, yeah invoking what, what, that angels. Them or whatever. Yes. Know. Changing yeah. the frequency. Yeah. yeah, trying to do that. Mm. So. Mm. Um, I did want to just touch on circumcision. Cision. Because that is another form of domestic violence, mm, yeah. which again is culturally sanctioned. Yeah. In the West, it's sanctioned for boys, yeah. and in the East, for, for girls. girls. Yeah. Uh, and now, of course, with you know um, uh, people migrating all over the planet, it's yeah. it's very yeah. much a global yeah. thing. But um, you know this. Uh, this is an act of violence that has such long-term effects that we don't understand. Right. Like the number of boys that die of cot death or silent mm. death, you know, for no apparent reason. The stats are much higher among wow. circumcised okay. boys. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and also you can't help but wonder, is that anchoring a mm. mistrust of the mother and an anger towards the mother. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Mm. Because this is done without anaesthetic. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And then with girls, again, the betrayal that it's often the mother, the aunt, the grandmother, mother. Yeah. that without warning mm. gives them this, well, it is called a rite of passage, but it's... Uh, Mutilation. You know, a very abusive... It's yeah, a mutilation. It is, a, it is a mutilation, yes. But, you know, there's a whole psychological thing that goes on that the girl is told that men won't like her if she doesn't have it done. She, You know, her husband won't keep her if she doesn't have it done. You know, like there's a whole build-up of her or a breakdown really of her own psyche, of her own self as to why she would accept having it done or why she should accept having it done. Um, including the fact that, you know, the mother and the grandmother and the aunties have probably all had it done themselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's a level of normalising it that goes on there. But it is illegal. 
in nearly worldwide now, but it doesn't mean it doesn't still happen. Yeah, it's really yeah. prevalent. Yeah, yeah. So um, most countries, I think, um, it's illegal. It's definitely illegal here. Um, but I found um, having dealt with women from all all cultures that often um, the parents or and, and especially the mother will send the child back to their country of origin or whatever to have it done there because it's more likely to be prosecuted here if it gets done here in Australia than it would if they went back to their own um, home country. Yeah, right. Because, yeah. yes, there are health professionals yeah. involved in yes. it. Yeah. I think I saw a statistic of mm. 30%, mm. you know, mm. in some mm. of these countries. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, where is it? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, 20 million girls and mm. women are being done, uh, the majority before the age of five. Yeah, where they have no idea of what's going on yeah. at all. And it's often sold to them as a celebration. Yes. You know, yeah. and then so then it adds to the shock. Mm. Uh, and then mm. they're often isolated after the event. Mm. You know, it's like mm. a punishment. Yeah. You know, which of course it um, would anchor a sense of your, you can't trust your body. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that we can do to you what it is we want, like mm. you're yeah. ours yeah. to control. Yeah. You don't have your yeah. own voice, yeah. so to speak. Which they then pass on to the, the girl's husband. You know, right. That sense of ownership. Yes, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. Women as chattel yeah. rather yeah. than sovereign. Yeah. Did you want to add um, to that convo at all, Kristen? Not, not so much the FGM um, and circumcision, but more going back to, I know we're going to probably close up soon, going back to. Uh, yeah, we will. Yeah. If you're going to jump oh, yes, subjects, yeah, I yeah, just yeah, want to give forward. one resource for our listeners. There's a great doco that came out called American Circumcision and it really lifts the lid, excuse the uh, horrible <laughs> pun there, um, on just how um, debilitating yeah. psychologically it is and sexually for men mm -hmm. because it, it, it clears away the um, most, um, you know, where the most nerve endings Sensitive. are, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. the frenulum. And originally the origins of it was it was done as an offering to the gods okay. right so it was ritual abuse mm -hmm. uh, amongst the ancient greeks um and now we're seeing it full circle with you know celebrities going on ellen and mm. saying they're using circumcised skin foreskin in the face creams that they're rubbing on oh, to, oh yeah no, no, no. Oh, my yeah, yeah welcome to <laughs> oh, crazy town God. so yeah just wanted to give you that tidbit again <laughs> sorry for the pun um no. do go on yeah what, just what did you a, want to add um, Kristen? probably the last couple of things i've got to add is that when we're speaking about like healing from experiencing childhood um abuse when you're in an abusive relationship or domestic or your parents or you've experienced as a child, there's a really beautiful book called It Wasn't Your Fault Freeing Yourself from the Shame of Childhood Abuse. Yeah. It's a really... Yeah. Oh, no, no, this is a kid's this book? Is, um, for adults who have survived um, violence as a child. Yeah. So it's a mm -hmm. really... Yeah, I've, I've heard amazing things mm -hmm. about that book. There Thank are, you. There are yeah. quite a lot of good resources out there, but you... you 
yeah, often you need to get yeah. told what they are. And, um, yeah. And, so, um, but, and something that I've ex- like experienced in violence in my own relationships, not physically, however, um, emotionally by myself and by my partners, something that I've felt to be really, really healing and something that can really shift things is looking at looking at each other as in different states of energy and so if I see my partners sort of giving me the silent treatment you know I could take that as abuse or I could take that that as oh they're processing um I'm not going to try and like get something out of them I'm not going to like put position myself so that they Mm -hmm. they can soothe me because I feel uncomfortable I'll just see them as processing right now um, and if they're feeling angry or they're like kind of like spiteful or something and they're kind of in the emotional brain and they're not really being logical, rational, like, okay, they've got some stagnant energy that they're needing to spurt out. I'm going to get out of the way so I don't get burned and I'll just leave them to be in that, in that energetic space. Mm-hmm. And then when I see them happy and everything's good then I see them as like energy free flowing through them as like they're in a good space now and that's how we connect. And then I, I honor myself in the same way, like, okay, right now I'm triggered. I don't want to talk to my lover like they're the one who's triggered me so I'm going to take myself away and process rather than be silent to them and sort of sort of punish them for whatever it is that they did or I think that they did and if I'm feeling angry then I'll go into my bedroom and I'll scream Mm -hmm. and I'll punch the pillow and I'll get that anger out of my body (laughs) and then I'll connect from a free flowing place and I try and sort of apply that as much as I can to um reduce any sort of violence any sort of emotional violence that can come up yeah it's that difference between reacting and responding absolutely so you know if we are charged if we've been triggered yeah um and this is why the more personal growth and healing work we do, the better the quality of our relationships because the less reactive we are, it's like we're not covered in all these little (laughs) detonator points, you know, right? Um, So, yeah, I see it as like a game of snakes and ladders. Yes. And that if you've got the tools, when you're triggered, you can step up to Mm -hmm. the next level and actually transcend what could have been a potential snake down to a lower level where you end up doing and saying things that you all regret later on. So, um, and that's very much the um, onus Mm. of the program that I just released. It's, you know, what do we do at those trigger points and giving people tools. So, um, but I totally agree what you've said in terms of also (laughs) need to go to your corners and regroup, not just... You know, to stay mm-hmm. in the pressure cooker, but to yep. recognize when you need a timeout time and, and what to do in those timeouts. Yeah. So you don't go mm-hmm. and just sink some booze yeah. or yeah. smoke a joint. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, how can you utilize that timeout? and have an agreed time to come back and to then Mm. process it when you're calm. And and there's some of the techniques that they use in the Men's Behavioural Change Program. As well. Teaching men how how to do that. Great. Yes. Beautiful. You know. We are moving forwards. uh, We are going to wrap it up. But just to close, you said that shelters started in the 70s here. Yes. And so it's been 50 years onward. How do you feel we've grown in that time? Um, 
sometimes I feel despondent and I think we haven't grown at all. But then I have a look around and I see, you know, the programs that the hospitals are running. I hear that, that there's courses out there that the magistrates can do. I know within the police force, as, as restrictive as that is, that they have increased their um, uh, family violence program, you know, to a significant level, that it's a whole semester rather than just a couple of, you know, subjects that they do. It's a whole program, um, you know, and, and, and I see that it being spoken about more in the community. Um, I, I, I can see that we have come a long way, but, you know, there, there is part of me that goes very slowly, very slowly, you know. Some of the things that I recognised and saw when I first came into the field still haven't been addressed properly. Homelessness is one, you know, so housing is a significant issue that has not been addressed at all, um, you know, it, all those sorts of things. Um, so you mean providing housing to someone after they come out of a refuge? Yes, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Um, well, even just um, affordable housing generally, even if they want to move back into private rental, there's very few affordable rental so properties have out safe there. safe options. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's been big leaps ahead in some areas and not so big leaps ahead in others or no movement in others at all. So, so if you had total powers, you know, what are the things you would implement? What are the things you would do with the 20 years life experience working in <laughs> domestic violence? Um, if you were the fairy godmother okay, of domestic and violence. And could wave my wand. Absolutely. What would you do? Uh, more education. More education and, and more specific education around breaking down patriarchy. Because I think patriarchy is, is the, the bottom line. It has instigated this all through history. So, yeah, so, you know, building up men, you know, to be real men. And, and like you said, to to love their women, you know, to to appreciate them. Because for us, it's inbuilt in us, but it's starting to change. Some of the younger girls that are coming through don't have any respect for men. So, yeah, 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 it's and it's it can be quite significant. So, yeah, we, we just need that, that education so yeah. that everybody can see. You know, the parents, the people that have lived through it, the people that are still living in it, you know, um, that can see the impacts. So for me, it would be about education. I think with education, the rest will follow on. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you so you. much for being our guest today. You're welcome. Uh, my, my pleasure to be here. Yeah. I'm glad I could impart my knowledge. You answered all my questions, by the Thank way. Thank you. you. And I it really because you uh, had it all covered. <laughs> covered them. <laughs> It, it's also yeah. that we need elders yes. that are Community. part of policy making. Yes. Yeah, people yeah. that have lived experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lovely. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, listeners, for staying with us till the end of the app. Thank and uh, thanks, Kristen. Um, yeah. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next one, which uh, we're getting to the end because uh, we've decided this will be a contained project. Um, but it's going to make the space for me and Kristen to create an education 
uh, course for young people. So um, that'll be our offering that's birthed out of this. So uh, we look forward uh, to seeing you or hearing, tuning in with you again next month. Yeah, and thank um, you. thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, Bye darling. Thanks for joining us. If you'd love to uh, catch future episodes, head on over to Spotify and uh, click follow. And if you'd like to find out more about my work, you can head over to the Moon Woman. That's M-O-O-N woman.com. And if you want to find out a bit more about me and the work that I do, you can go to yonilicious.com.au or you can find me on Instagram where I'm more active at yonilicious. Y-O-N-I-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Beautiful. Have a great day. Bye.